0: Welcome back to Jacqueline Robinson, affectionately known as Jackie R, Hot and Mobile Technology Out and About Cybersecurity Podcast Series. If you are looking for a dynamic, keep it real, real cybersecurity speaker, visit my website at hot. And mobile.com. H O T A N D M O B I L E. Hot and mobile.com. My passion is for you to trust me to show you how to be smarter than your phone. In today's episode, we will touch on mobile security threats, what they are. And how you can prevent them. If you're like me, you have a smartphone. Mostly everybody has some type of smartphone tucked away in their purse, their pocket, somewhere. Or at least they have a knowledge of what a smartphone is. But how much do people really know about smartphone threats? If you are a smartphone user, you probably keep private data and info on your device, but you want to keep your device secure as well. Smartphone security is an essential issue today, especially now that more people are working remotely due to the COVID-19. If you want to be sure that you know about the most critical smartphone threats today and how you can keep your phone safe, then trust me to show you how to be smarter than your phone. I can't emphasize that enough. There are so many things that are going on as far as threats are concerned. And we walk around sometimes just nilly-willy depending upon our carrier or depending upon other services to be able to protect our device. But there are things that we need to understand as far as these threats are concerned. And also there are things that we need to do ourselves to protect our investments in these smartphones. So let's, let's kick it off by talking about what are mobile device threats? Because in addition to smartphones, we have tablets, which are mobile devices. Okay. And so a mobile security threat are attacks that are intended to compromise or steal data from mobile devices, like our smartphones and tablets. Now we talked about in a series, in, in episode one, we described what is cybersecurity? What are cyber threats? And the different various threats that you should be aware of. With access, attackers can perform a variety of malicious acts from stealing and selling data to accessing your contacts to send messages and making phone calls. They've gotten very sophisticated in the things that they can do. So what are some of the mobile security threats? Let's define them. There are app-based mobile threats, apps. These types of attacks can occur when you download malicious apps or grant app permissions to access device data without checking whether or not it's safe to do so. Web-based mobile threats, web-based. A web-based mobile attack is usually achieved through phishing. And we talked about phishing in episode two what is spam email, and phishing. So go back and listen to those episodes so you can get more detailed information about what those are. Attackers will send an email, a text message, or an instant message that looks as if it's from a trusted source, but the message contains a malicious link or attachment. Then when you click through or provide personal information, the bad boys can then gain unauthorized access to your mobile device or steal credentials to spoof identities. Network threats. This type of mobile attack occurs when bad boys target unsecure. Or free to use public Wi-Fi connections. In some cases, the bad boys may even set up a fake Wi-Fi network known as network spoofing in an attempt to trick you. So when you sometimes need to connect to the internet and you free see free access, it's not always a good idea to connect to those free Wi-Fi networks, especially if you are asked to create a new account with a username and a password. You don't know who these people are. You're giving your information by setting up a new account with a user ID and a password, which gives them an opportunity to compromise your device and your credentials. Physical threats. This is when it is a lost, stolen, or unattached device that opens up the users to a range of cell phone security issues. If you don't use a strong password, PIN, or biometric authentication, or use unencrypted apps and services, your phone can easily be hacked. Now I use Lookout and Lookout is a feature or app that I have used for many years. I had an insta- instance once where I was traveling from Houston to Portland, Oregon. And I forgot that I had packed my tablet into my suitcase. And I couldn't find it while I was sitting in the terminal waiting for my flight. I got almost panicked looking, like, where is my tablet? So I used my smartphone to uh, go to Lookout. And I asked Lookout to find my phone. You've heard of that, find my phone. And it found my phone and it told me my phone was at the baggage claim area at the Portland airport. I'm all the way in Houston, but it found my phone at the uh, Portland uh, airport in the baggage claim. Well, if it had been in the hands of an unscrupulous person, I could have made that phone, that tablet do a couple of things. One, I could have made it scream. There's a feature in Lookout that will make it scream. And the scream, the, phone, the uh, tablet starts to scream and it gets louder and louder and louder. And it doesn't cut off until you, me, the user cuts it off. And then I could also shut it down completely. Just shut the the tablet down. Also, I could have completely erased all data on that tablet. And so if you don't have some type of app that can find your phone, then take a look at Lookout, but also find my phone. That's a tool that you need. In the event that you lose your phone. So let's talk about what not to do. Here are some things that will keep you and your uh, mobile device safe. And I'm going to tell you what they are and then how to minimize the risk. First, downloading malicious apps and granting two many permissions. Applications that are downloaded from sources other than official app stores can lead to data leaks as they're often unlikely to have the appropriate protections in place. In addition, attackers may release malicious apps that are intended to exploit you who downloaded them By stealing data from your device and selling it to third parties. How to minimize only download applications from Google, from the Google Play Store or from the Apple Store and other trusted providers. In addition, you should deny permissions such as access to your location access to your camera, and access to your microphone unless the trusted apps you're using absolutely requires it. In my workshop, I show where to find on your mobile devices the settings to deny permissions. Number two, connecting to unsecure Wi-Fi networks. Wi-Fi networks that are free to access in public places like airports, coffee shops, and libraries are attractive because they give you the opportunity to avoid using mobile data, especially if you have a plan where you have monthly limited mobile data usage. So you are trying to connect because you want to check your email, or you want to go to Instagram because you just have to load upload this uh, picture. You want to go to Facebook because you just have to see what other people are doing, but you don't want to use your mobile data because you're close to the monthly usage allotment, and so you are Wi-Fi fishing, searching for Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi in order to connect. That is something that you don't want to do because those networks are unsecure, which means attackers can more easily gain access to your device and compromise your data. So how to minimize? Think twice before connecting to free Wi-Fi hotspots and never use one, never use one that requires you to create an account or passwords. If you have the type of plan on your carrier where you can change your device into a hotspot and connect Let's say you want to connect your tablet to the Wi-Fi. It's better for you to connect through your smartphone than it is to try to find free Wi-Fi connection. That just opens you up to the bad boys and an attack. Being the target of a social en- a social engineering attack. This is number three. What is a social engineering attack? It sounds so technical. With remote work on the rise, attacks like phishing and smishing, that's a new one on me, smishing, but like phishing, are increasingly prevalent on both mobile devices and computers. However, mobile device users are often more vulnerable to these attacks. Why? Because we're not paying attention. The screen size of our our, uh, smartphone is small in that we're not seeing all of the information on a full page. You would have to scroll up or down in order to see all the information. Therefore, you are setting yourself up for a malicious email, for opening a malicious email because you're not paying attention. This increases your chances that you will click on a link without considering the consequences. You're in a hurry. This looks important. You can't see the entire screen. You're not not scrolling up or down to read all of the information. You're not taking the time to determine whether or not it could be a scam and you just click on the link. How to minimize. Never click on a link in an email or a text message. Even if it appears to be from a trusted sender. Instead, and this is a trick that's been around for a long time. Instead, enter the URL, the web address, go to a a new browser, open up a new browser. And if you have to use uh, one of those private browsing uh, windows, copy the link address and put it in the browser to see if it is a legitimate link. But the main thing is if it just don't click on it at all, not in an email and not in a text message. I like this one. Practicing poor cyber hygiene. Are you sure? It is more important than ever for people to practice good cyber, hygiene. But many people continue to use weak passwords, recycle credentials across accounts, and they share their data with friends and colleagues just because. Also, they refuse to update applications and operating systems. When it says update and it's a trusted app or application, update, don't put it off because the de- developers, these, these companies that have these trusted apps, they don't want to get a reputation of having malicious software or malicious apps. They have professional developers on the back end who are working to code their software so that you are protected. And so when it says update, Take the time to update. Out of date devices can also contribute to a slew of mobile security issues. Whether it's due to the manufacturing failing to offer updates or because the user chooses not to download new versions of software, this leaves gaps that an attacker can use to infiltrate a device now if you are a wordpress user you have a wordpress website there are plugins and templates themes that before you download you need to check the reviews or check to see when was the last time they were updated. Now that's a whole nother subject onto itself that be smarter than your phone will address at some point. But that, that is key that you make sure that you are updating the apps when there is an update available. So how to minimize? Use strong passwords and Deploy multifaceted authentication tools, what they call MFA. In other words, like you have an account, say I have an account with GoDaddy, and I call in because I need support. I need to talk to support. Well, I set up MFA, multifaceted authentication. So they're going to send me a text message to my phone. And then I have to give them the code that they sent me in the text message before they will talk to me. That is verifying my account. When you have the opportunity to set up multi-factor authentication, do that to protect your account, especially on financial accounts. Protect your money. Set your devices to automatically updates. There are some... Uh, software apps that you can turn on the parameter that says, do you want to automatically update? Be sure to click yes. So that way you don't rely on yourself to remember. Okay. Log out of apps and websites when you are finished using them. I know a lot of times we work on our laptops, especially if we're working in our home office and it's late. It might be 10, 11 o'clock at night before you decide to shut down. And all you do is close the top of your laptop and go off and, and, and retire for the evening. But you need to log out of these websites. You need to shut it down properly. Sometimes what I do is I turn off Wi-Fi. Whether it's on my laptop or my smartphone, I just t- turn off Wi Fi. That way, there is no connection. And this one makes common sense. Keep your personal information and your logins to yourself, don't share your information with anybody. Now this one I'm about to talk about is especially important for small businesses. Falling prey to botnets. And we talked about botnets um, in our first um, episode, cybersecurity episode, where a botnet is when a group of computers fall under the control of a hacker. Let's say you are a small organization and you have four or five people in your office that are on the same network or on the same server and somebody downloads some malicious uh, software or application. Well, now that affects everybody that's connected to that server. And a botnet is used to overload your resources during a malicious attack which can be executed on a mobile device via a Trojan, a virus, and worms. That sounds so nasty. Trojans, viruses, and worms. How to minimize. Botnets can be avoided, again, by only downloading legitimate apps and never, ever, ever clicking on links or attachments in emails using secure wireless networks and being aware of unusual activity on devices. Now, again, I'm talking about small businesses and how you can protect yourself from mobile threats. See, your small business may not have an IT department. Your small business may not have a security team. But there's a lot that you and the people in your group can do to secure their devices, especially their smartphones. So what do you do? You should prevent mobile security attacks by making sure that you have a robust understanding of common threats. And that is, that's my passion. I know what's going on out here, especially for small businesses. And we are not aware of these attacks. We see them on the news as it affects large government entities or large corporations. But somehow or another, it does not connect to us down here on this level as an individual or as a small business. But the threat is real. And that is the purpose of Jackie R's cybersecurity series to help you be smarter than your phone. You need to know what these threats are and you need to be able to recognize the telltale signs when your phone starts acting funny or when your laptop starts acting funny. Don't just play it off. Recognize that there could be something seriously going on that could compromise your financial information. It could compromise your small business. As a small business owner, if you don't have policies in place, email policy, disaster recovery plans, you need to think about starting one now, creating one. It's 2021 and you want to be secure. So what if something happens? What do you do? We will talk about in our Be Smarter Than Your Phone, how to create a disaster recovery plan. So stay tuned for that. But you need to implement secure password policies. Enable strong authentication tools like the MFA and biometrics. That's where you use your thumb to open up or launch different different apps. There, there are some people right now in the process of developing facial recognition, especially for financial apps to protect our money while we're online. Ensure that your people's home networks are secure. Okay, if, if you have to pay their uh, Wi-Fi bill for them, whatever you have to do to make sure that their Wi-Fi networks are safe while they're working from home. It's not a good idea to sink or siphon off Wi-Fi from your neighbor next door just because you don't have it at home. Avoid using Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi networks when you're working from from home. You might be close to uh, a Wi-Fi network That is a public Wi-Fi. Do not use it. Make sure that you have a secure Wi-Fi system. So what's next? To keep your employees and company data safe, it is essential for you as an individual and or or an organization to stay on top of mobile device security risk, especially Especially as the world becomes increasingly more remote. These are just a few of the tips that I will share with you through our Be Smarter Than Your Phone Cybersecurity Series. We've got two episodes coming up on February the 4th I will be talking about coronavirus charity scams. Yes, there are unscrupulous people out here that are using the pandemic to scam people out of money. On November the 5th, I am the guest speaker for I- 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 Ijah Allen's Digital Rising series. Where I will discuss cybersecurity for small businesses. You can check her out at digalyne.com, digaline.com. She has a whole host of speakers coming up through March, February and March on her program. And then on February the 7th, you don't want to miss this one. My special guest will be Sue Cerna, CEO and founder of Cerna Social. And we're going to be talking about Instagram scams, how to avoid those, and also Facebook security. That's going to be on February the 7th. Again, you can check out the website, hotandmobile.com, for additional information. This is your girl, Jackie R., Hot and Mobile, technology for out and about. Continue to trust me to show you how to be smarter than your phone. Hello. Hello. And welcome back to Jacqueline Robinson, affectionately known as Jackie R. Hot and Mobile Technology Out and About Cybersecurity Podcast. If you are looking for a dynamic, keep it real, real cybersecurity speaker, visit my website at hotandmobile.com. That's H O T A N D M O B I L E com. My passion is for you to trust me to show you how to be smarter than your phone. In today's episode, we will be discussing coronavirus charity scams and what you need to know and how to protect yourself. Listen, the coronavirus caught us all off guard. There were many people and still are many people that are affected by this pandemic. Old people, young people, um, people in the United States and people all over the world. But what is unfortunate is that we also have to witness a rise in charity scams as fraudsters seek to exploit the crisis, to carry out cybercrime. And that is definitely unfortunate because even in a crisis, doesn't matter if it's a flood, if it's a hurricane, uh, whatever it happens to be, any type of disaster, there's always going to be that group, that element that is looking for a way to get something for nothing and to cheat people. As early as February of last year, the United States Federal Trade Commission warned us that scammers are taking advantage of fears surrounding the coronavirus and they're setting up websites to sell bogus products and using fake emails, text messages, and social media posts as a ruse to take your money and get your personal information. Now, that's a damn shame that people would stoop so low as to do these type of unscrupulous things because these scams cost you money and divert donations away from the real charities and the real causes, the people who really need it. So in this podcast, I'm going to outline critical coronavirus scams and charity frauds, what to look out for and how to protect yourself. So how do coronavirus charity scams work? Well, charity frauds tend to fall into two categories. Now I'm talking about charity frauds. First, scams which target the public. And then two, There are scams which target charity workers themselves, those innocent people who are volunteering to work for a good cause. So now here are some coronavirus scam examples that have targeted the public. Fake charities or impersonating charities. This is where scammers pose as a fake charity to solicit fraudulent donations. Often they pick a name that sounds close to a genuine and well-known charity. But you have to listen very closely to determine whether or not it's fake. Person in need scams. Scammers pose as an individual affected by coronavirus or perhaps claim to be acting on behalf of somebody else who has the virus, a friend or a relative that are seeking your financial help. The person will claim to be in trouble because of the crisis. For example, by saying they are ill, they're sick, or they're stranded in another country, another state, another city, and will ask you to send them money. Often they claim urgency and the need for secrecy. Now you know dang well if they want to keep it on the down low and they want you to send money, That there's, that is very suspicious. So don't be suspicious. Testing, vaccine, and treatment scams. Scammers often fake home test kits and miracle cures or vaccines which do not exist. They may also target Medicare recipients. Listen seniors, they are targeting Medicare recipients by offering COVID-19 testing in an attempt to steal your personal information. Checks from the government, which has to do with those STEMIs or those stimulus checks where scammers claim to be from the IRS or another government agency and ask for your personal information. Or they try to charge you fake fees for you to get your stimulus check or often offer you a way to get the money early. (laughs) FDIC and banking. Fraudsters pretend to be from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or what we know as the FDIC or your bank and say your bank account or your ability to get cash are in danger and ask you for your personal information. Now, th- these are uh, ways, scam examples, that these bad boys are targeting the public. Now, here's some ways that these bad boys are targeting charity workers, those people who have volunteered their time because they have they care they volunteer their time to help other people in need, and they are being scammed or offered scammed or tried. To, they're trying to trick them. Now, one is phishing, and I talk about phishing in some of my other episodes uh, in the uh, uh, corona uh, not coronavirus, in the uh, cybersecurity series of Be Smarter Than Your Phone. So go back uh, on anchor.fm or go out to my website, hotandmobile.com and look for the menu item for podcast, and check out episodes one, two, and three, which where I discuss fishing and smishing. But again, I'll explain what fishing is as charity workers are being targeted. This is where fraudsters claim to be from a legitimate organization that can provide information that could assist local charities, such as a list of vulnerable people in the local area who may require support, like they may have identified a community and say people in this community need uh, support. The victim, the charity worker, is invited to click on a link to access the information. This typically leads to a fake website or they ask the charity worker to make a cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin payment. Now, Bitcoins is not that um, prevalent among the general population. So that in itself would be suspicious to me. Here's another one, mandate fraud. For example, a charity employee working from home might receive an email that appears to be from a legitimate company providing services for the charity. That is a fraud. You need to be very careful about the emails that you receive. Now here's one that you probably may be familiar with. And it's the procurement fraud. This might involve the online sale to a charity or public health organization of vital personal protective equipment, or what we know as PPE, such as face masks and gloves. Once the payment has been made, and this is the sad part, once the payment has been made, No products are delivered or the products do not meet the required standards. That happened to New York City where they were a victim of PPE fraud. So even a a city as large as, or the state of New York, as large as the state of New York is, they were scammed from a PPE fraud. So you if down on our level, you need to be very careful. And in talking about being careful, here are nine tips to keep in mind when it comes to coronavirus donation scams. Number one, legitimate charities will not be registered. I'm sorry, let me take that back. Legitimate charities will be registered. Let me say it again. Legitimate charities will be registered. So you should cross-check an organization's credentials on a known database to see if they are genuine. If somebody comes to you with a charity that you've never heard of, then you need to make sure that you Google that name and find out whether or not it is in a legitimate database somewhere. Number 2. Individuals who have been affected by the illness are unlikely to contact you directly for money. Especially strangers you don't know. In other words, just because so and so that you don't know contacts you and says I'm sick and I'm and I need some money, that it's obvious to me a scam. You don't even know the person. And so how could they even have the audacity to contact you directly and ask you for money? Number three, it is difficult to recover money sent via money order, wire transfer, international funds transfer, preloaded card, or an electronic currency like Bitcoin. So you should avoid any arrangement with strangers that ask for upfront payments. This way, what way? Money order, wire transfer, international funds transfer, preloaded card, or an electronic currency like Bitcoin. If they're they're contacting you and asking you to transfer forms in th- these formats. Just be cautious and aware that that is more likely to be a scam. Number four, generally, organizations asking you to send for funds to a foreign bank are highly unlikely to be legitimate. There's no way somebody in Turkey that calls me or emails me soliciting for funds for a coronavirus victim. Am I going to take that as being legitimate and then send some funds through a uh to a foreign bank that's that just that just should not happen number six just because someone knows your name and contact details does not mean they are genuine. Question every surprise email and request you may get. As seniors, we need to be particularly cautious. Just because somebody knows our name, or they know our telephone number, or they may have our address, they could have they could have gleaned that information from a, a, a illegitimate place and contacted us. And we should not fall prey to that type of scam. Number seven, scammers often use high pressure tactics like a sense of urgency or using highly emotive language. Sometimes this can even be part of a more extensive social engineering attack. What's social engineering? Social engineering is the psychological manipulation of people into performing actions or divulging confidential information. If someone solicits donations from you, check the facts and don't donate without investigating. This is because legitimate organizations will not apply that same level of pressure. And you should be cautious of anyone claiming that donations need to be immediate to be effective. You can't come to me and say, we need the money like in the next five minutes. That is a tactic or someone might die if we don't send the money right away. That is a pressure tactic and a clear sign that it could be a scam. Number eight, for legitimate charities, according to the Wise Giving Alliance, at least 65% of donations should go directly to the people or cause they are serving. If the proportion is much lower than this, lower than 65%, it is questionable to what extent it is a real charity. So you need to find out how much of your donation goes to the actual cause in one way to assess a charity's legitimacy. Number eight, be cautious about fundraising appeals with a generic or vague uh, wording such as to help people with COVID-19. Well, there's a lot of people with COVID-19 that is just so generic to help people with COVID-19 or that simply contain a cell phone number without additional more specific information. Somebody sends you an email that says that they are soliciting to quote unquote help people with COVID-19 With just a cell phone number, that is not, that does not even appear to be legitimate. You need to be careful. So, how to protect yourself from coronavirus charity scans. Tips for people who actually want to donate. These are the things that if you want to donate, you should uh, look out for. Number one. Search for the charity on a public database where you can check if a charity is legitimate. Some of those databases include Charity Check, Charity Watch, BBB Wise Giving Alliance, and Charity Navigator. Google those and check those out when someone approaches you with a charity that they want you to donate to. Number two, check the charity's website. A legitimate charity website should be easy to find via search engines. Check the URL, check the web address. Most nonprofit web addresses end with a .org rather than a .com. So avoid web addresses that also end with serial numbers. Their EIN, what's the EIN? Employer identification number that you can get from the IRS and a tax ID number should be clearly shown. So check that, check the EIN number. That comes straight from the IRS or the tax ID number. Fake websites, especially fake charity websites, often ask for detailed information such as your social security, date of birth, bank account, and PIN information. There's no way you should be giving out that uh, most personal information, your social security number, especially seniors. They tell us not to give our social security number to anybody, especially over the phone, your date of birth. Your bank account. No way are you going to get my bank account number and my PIN? Absolutely not. Because with that information, that's easy for you to go in and steal all of my money. So you need to be very careful in providing this information so that it doesn't make it easy for them to steal your identity. Number three, to donate online. Type in the charity website address rather than clicking on a link. That's easy. Take the web the uh, web address, copy and then paste it in a new uh, window. And it might be a good idea to use a um a secure browser. Okay. Approach charity organizations directly to donate or offer. There are local organizations in your community that you can call or go and visit personally and ask them what type of donations that they may need. Number four, try to find any media coverage or additional information that can validate a fundraiser's legitimacy. Review ratings and reviews of the charity in the public domain. Search online for the charity's search a surname or the charity's name and the word scam or fraud to make sure that somebody has not reported that particular charity that's soliciting you as a scam or a fraud. Number five, donate using a credit card. It is the safest way to donate. Never, never donate by giving out gift card numbers or using a wire transfer. If someone asks you to donate that way, assume it is a scam. Number six, delete unsolicited emails with attachment. If you don't know who that email came from, if you don't know the name, you don't know the person, don't even waste your time trying to open it. Delete it immediately, especially if it has an attachment. Legitimate emails from real charities typically will not include attachments. Do not open any attachments to these emails Since they are likely to be viruses and cause inadvertent downloads of malware onto your computer, making you vulnerable to future hacking attempts, because you won't even know that it's there, but the the bad boys will. Number seven. I think I am. One, two, three, four, five, six. Number seven. Seven. Okay. Okay. Do not click on links in suspicious emails and never respond to unsolicited messages and calls asking for personal or financial details. Avoiding fake charity links will also help prevent phishing scams. Phishing scams, again, is where you get an email and it looks legitimate. The logo, they have a legitimate logo. Um, And it looks like something that's for real, but typically there may be a misspelling of somebody's name, a company name might be misspelled. So again, go back and review our uh, cybersecurity uh, podcast, episodes one, two, and three for additional information about phishing. Number eight, check email addresses are valid. This is a simple tip you can use when you take your mouse and you hover that mouse over the email address to actually reveal the actual email address. And it probably will appear down in the bottom left corner of your uh, laptop or your computer. So check whether it is a link to a real charity or one crafted to deceive people. It has some uh, uh, unusual looking email address that you've never even could never even recognize and it doesn't match the charity that it says that it's coming from. Number nine, be careful on social media. Social media is a useful way for charities to communicate with the public and solicit solicit donations. But do not assume that a donation request on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube is legitimate simply because a friend liked it or shared it. Take the time to research the group before donating. Number 10, give through a reputable and secure service. For example, Charity Navigator's Giving Basket is a safe and convenient way to give to charitable causes. The Giving Basket only donates to legitimate charities. So you are protected from donating to fraudulent appeal by mistake. Number 11. Oh, this one really got me. This one right here. Everybody's heard of GoFundMe and you've heard success stories of people posting on GoFundMe, you know, sad stories of, of illnesses or deaths or whatever the case may be and how people have donated hundreds and thousands of dollars for the cause. But there are some other fake uh, examples of what has happened on GoFundMe. So there has been an increase in crowdsourcing, that's what GoFundMe is—is is a crowdsourcing website like GoFundMe, where people can quickly put up fundraising pleas to cover unexpected medical bills or personal tragedies. However, <clears throat> GoFundMe does not verify individual requests, so there is no way to know if a person's story is real or a scam. Again, tread carefully. Number 12, and this is one of the main reasons why Jackie R, Hot Mobile Technology for Out and About is doing the cybersecurity Be Smarter Than Your Phone series. Protect your devices. Always install the latest software and app updates to protect your devices from the latest threats. Buy a comprehensive cybersecurity solution like Kapersky Security Cloud to get personalized and adaptive online security for all your devices. Finally, I'm gonna talk about tips for charity workers. For you guys, here are four things that you need to do. Number one, carry out due diligence. If you are making a purchase on behalf of your charity from a company or person you do not know, by all means, discuss with your colleagues if you are unsure. Number two, be cautious if you are asked to make changes to bank details or make payments to a new account. Wherever possible, follow your charity's validation procedures and check the authenticity of such messages before making any payments or actioning banking changes. Number three, question unsolicited offers of goods or other financial support where an advanced fee payment is required. In other words, they're going to offer you some stuff, some free stuff for your charity. However, it's not really free because they want you to pay a certain fee upfront. Do not feel pressure into making a decision that could harm your charity or your beneficiaries. Number four, trust your instincts. If someone, if something or someone does not feel right, then leave it and them alone. As the saying goes, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Now, what should you do? If you have been scammed, if your charity has been, been scammed, if you think you have provided your account, details to a charity scammer. Contact your bank or financial institution immediately. Don't wait. The longer you wait, the harder it will be to track down the scammers, the bad boys who took your money and it'll take longer, if at all, for you to get your money back. These are just a few of the tips I will share with you through the Be Smarter Than Your Phone Cybersecurity Series. In our next episode on February the 11th, we will cover online videos, Zoom, how people are scamming on Zoom and other, line, other video calls. On February the 14th, I will have a special guest, Sue Cerna where we will discuss Instagram scams and Facebook security. So don't miss those episodes of this podcast. This is your girl, Jackie R. Hi, and mobile. Technology for out and about. Continue to trust me to show you how to be smarter than your phone. Hello and welcome back to Jacqueline Robinson, affectionately known as Jackie R. Hot and Mobile Technology Out and About Cybersecurity Podcast. If you are looking for a dynamic, keep it real, real cybersecurity speaker, visit my website at hotandmobile.com. That's H O T A N D M O B. I-L-E dot com. My passion is for you to trust me to show you how to be smarter than your phone. In today's episode, we will be discussing coronavirus charity scams and what you need to know and how to protect yourself. Listen, the coronavirus caught us all off guard. There were many people and still are many people that are affected by this pandemic. Old people, young people, um, people in the United States and people all over the world. But what is unfortunate is that we also have to witness a rise in charity scams as fraudsters seek to exploit the crisis, to carry out cybercrime. And that is definitely unfortunate because even in a crisis, doesn't matter if it's a flood, if it's a hurricane, uh, whatever it happens to be, any type of disaster, there's always going to be that group, that element that is looking for a way to get something for nothing and to cheat people as early as February of last year, the United States Federal Trade Commission warned us that scammers are taking advantage of fears surrounding the coronavirus and they're setting up websites to sell bogus products and using fake emails, text messages, and social media posts as a ruse to take your money and get your personal information. Now, that's a damn shame that people would stoop so low as to do these type of unscrupulous things because these scams cost you money and divert donations away from the real charities and the real causes, the people who really need it. So in this podcast, I'm going to outline critical coronavirus scams, and charity frauds, what to look out for, and how to protect yourself. So how do coronavirus charity scams work? Well, charity frauds tend to fall into two categories. Now I'm talking about charity frauds. First, scams which target the public. And then two, There are scams which target charity workers themselves, those innocent people who are volunteering to work for a good cause. So now here are some coronavirus scam examples that have targeted the public. Fake charities or impersonating charities. This is where scammers pose as a fake charity to solicit fraudulent donations. Often they pick a name that sounds close to a genuine and well-known charity, but you have to listen very closely to determine whether or not it's fake. Person in need scams. Scammers pose as an individual affected by coronavirus or perhaps claim to be acting on behalf of somebody else who has the virus, a friend or a relative that are seeking your financial help. The person will claim to be in trouble because of the crisis. For example, by saying they are ill, they're sick, or they're stranded in another country, another state, another city, and will ask you to send them money. Often they claim urgency and the need for secrecy. Now you know dang well if they want to keep it on the down low and they want you to send money, that there's, that is very suspicious. So don't be suspicious. Testing, vaccine, and treatment scams. Scammers often fake home test kits and miracle cures or vaccines which do not exist. They may also target Medicare recipients. Listen seniors, they are targeting Medicare recipients by offering COVID-19 testing in an attempt to steal your personal information. Checks from the government, which has to do with those STEMIs or those stimulus checks where scammers claim to be from the IRS or another government agency and ask for your personal information. Or they try to charge you fake fees for you to get your stimulus check or often offer you a way to get the money early. (laughs) FDIC and banking. Fraudsters pretend to be from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or what we know as the FDIC or your bank and say your bank account or your ability to get cash are in danger and ask you for your personal information. Now, th- these are uh, ways, scam examples, that these bad boys are targeting the public. Now, here's some ways that these bad boys are targeting charity workers. Those people who have volunteered their time because they have they care They volunteer their time to help other people in need and they are being scammed or offered scammed or tried, they're trying to trick them. Now, one is phishing. And I talk about phishing in some of my other episodes, uh, in the, uh, uh, corona, uh, not coronavirus, in the, uh, cybersecurity series of Be Smarter Than Your Phone. So go back uh, on anchor.fm or go out to my website, highmobile.com and look for the menu item for podcast, and check out episodes one, two, and three, which where I discuss fishing and smishing. But again, I'll explain what fishing is as charity workers are being targeted. This is where fraudsters claim to be from a legitimate organization that can provide information that could assist local charities, such as a list of vulnerable people in the local area who may require support. Like they may have identified a community and say people in this community need uh, support. The victim, the charity worker, is invited to click on a link to access the information. This typically leads to a fake website or they ask the charity worker to make a cryptocurrency such as Bitcoin payment. Now, Bitcoins is not that um, prevalent among the general population. So that in itself would be suspicious to me. Here's another one, mandate fraud. For example, a charity employee working from home might receive an email that appears to be from a legitimate company providing services for the charity. That is a fraud. You need to be very careful about the emails that you receive. Now here's one that you probably may be familiar with. And it's the procurement fraud. This might involve the online sale to a charity or public health organization of vital personal protective equipment, or what we know as PPE, such as face masks and gloves. Once the payment has been made, and this is the sad part, once the payment has been made, No products are delivered or the products do not meet the required standards. That happened to New York City where they were a victim of PPE fraud. So even a a city as large as, or the state of New York, as large as the state of New York is, they were scammed from a PPE fraud. So you if down on our level, you need to be very careful. And in talking about being careful, here are nine tips to keep in mind when it comes to coronavirus donation scams. Number one, legitimate charities will not be registered. I'm sorry, let me take that back. Legitimate charities will be registered. Let me say it again. Legitimate charities will be registered. So you should cross check an organization's credentials on a known database to see if they are genuine. If somebody comes to you with a charity that you've never heard of, then you need to make sure that you Google that name and find out whether or not it is in a legitimate database somewhere. Number 2. Individuals who have been affected by the illness are unlikely to contact you directly for money, especially strangers you don't know. In other words, just because so and so that you don't know contacts you and says I'm sick and I'm and I need some money, that it's obvious to me, a scam, you don't even know the person. And so how could they even have the audacity to contact you directly and ask you for money? Number three, it is difficult to recover money sent via money order, wire transfer, international funds transfer, preloaded card, or an electronic currency like Bitcoin. So you should avoid any arrangement with strangers that ask for upfront payments this way. What way? Money order, wire transfer, international funds transfer, preloaded card, or an electronic currency like Bitcoin. If they're they're contacting you and asking you to transfer forms in th- these formats, Just be cautious and aware that that is more likely to be a scam. Number four, generally organizations asking you to send funds to a foreign bank are highly unlikely to be legitimate. There's no way somebody in Turkey that calls me or emails me soliciting for fund for a coronavirus victim Am I going to take that as being legitimate and then send some funds through a uh to a foreign bank that's that just that just should not happen number six just because someone knows your name and contact details does not mean they are genuine. Question every surprise email and request you may get. As seniors, we need to be particularly cautious. Just because somebody knows our name or they know our telephone number or they may have our address, they could have they could have gleaned that information from a, a, a illegitimate place and contacted us, and we should not fall prey to that type of scam. Number seven, scammers often use high pressure tactics like a sense of urgency or using highly emotive language. Sometimes this can even be part of a more extensive social engineering attack. What's social engineering? Social engineering is the psychological manipulation of people into performing actions or divulging confidential information. If someone solicits donations from you, check the facts and don't donate without investigating. This is because legitimate organizations will not apply that same level of pressure. And you should be cautious of anyone claiming that donations need to be immediate to be effective. You can't come to me and say, we need the money like in the next five minutes. That is a tactic or someone might die if we don't send the money right away. That is a pressure tactic and a clear sign that it could be a scam. Number eight, for legitimate charities, according to the Wise Giving Alliance, at least 65% of donations should go directly to the people or cause they are serving. If the proportion is much lower than this, lower than 65%, it is questionable to what extent it is a real charity. So you need to find out how much of your donation goes to the actual cause in one way to assess a charity's legitimacy. Number eight, be cautious about fundraising appeals with a generic or vague wording uh, wording, such as to help people with COVID-19. Well, there's a lot of people with COVID-19 that is just so generic to help people with COVID-19 or that simply contain a cell phone number without additional, more specific information. Somebody sends you an email that says that they are soliciting to quote unquote, help people with COVID-19 with just a cell phone number. that is not That does not even appear to be legitimate. You need to be careful. So. How to protect yourself. From coronavirus charity scans. Tips for people who actually. Want to donate. These are the things that. If you want to donate. You should work, uh, look out for. Number one. Search for the charity on a public database where you can check if a charity is legitimate. Some of those databases include Charity Check, Charity Watch, BBB Wise Giving Alliance, and Charity Navigator. Google those and check those out when someone approaches you with a charity that they want you to donate to. Number two, check the charity's website. A legitimate charity website should be easy to find via search engines. Check the URL, check the web address. Most nonprofit web addresses end with a .org rather than a .com. So avoid web addresses that also end with serial numbers their EIN, what's the EIN? Employer identification number that you can get from the IRS and a tax ID number should be clearly shown. So check that, check the EIN number that comes straight from the IRS or the tax ID number. Fake websites, especially fake charity websites often ask for detailed information such as your social security, date of birth, bank account, and PIN information. There's no way you should be giving out that uh, most personal information, your social security number, especially seniors. They tell us not to give our social security number to anybody, especially over the phone, your date of birth. Your bank account. No way are you going to get my bank account number and my PIN? Absolutely not. Because with that information, that's easy for you to go in and steal all of my money. So you need to be very careful in providing this information so that it doesn't make it easy for them to steal your identity. Number three, to donate online. Type in the charity website address rather than clicking on a link. That's easy. Take the web the uh, web address, copy, and then paste it in a new uh, window. And it might be a good idea to use a, um, a secure browser. Okay. Approach charity organizations directly to donate or offer. There are local organizations in your community that you can call or go and visit personally and ask them what type of donations that they may need. Number four, try to find any media coverage or additional information that can validate a fundraiser's legitimacy. Review ratings and reviews of the charity in the public domain. Search online for the charity's search surname or the charity's name and the word "scam" or fraud to make sure that somebody has not reported that particular charity that's soliciting you as a scam or a fraud. Number five: Donate using a credit card. It is the safest way to donate. Never! Never donate by giving out gift card numbers or using a wire transfer. If someone asks you to donate that way, assume it is a scam. Number six, delete unsolicited emails with attachment. If you don't know who that email came from, if you don't know the name, you don't know the person, Don't even waste your time trying to open it. Delete it immediately, especially if it has an attachment. Legitimate emails from real charities typically will not include attachments. Do not open any attachments to these emails since they are likely to be viruses and cause inadvertent downloads of malware onto your computer making you vulnerable to future hacking attempts because you won't even know that it's there, but the the bad boys will. Number seven, I think I am. One, two, three, four, five, six, number seven. Seven, okay. Do not click on links in suspicious emails and never respond to unsolicited messages and calls asking for personal or financial details. Avoiding fake charity links will also help prevent phishing scams. Phishing scams, again, is where you get an email and it looks legitimate. The logo, they have a legitimate logo um, and it looks like something that's for real, but typically there may be a misspelling of somebody's name. A company name might be misspelled. So again, go back and review our uh, cybersecurity podcast, episodes one, two, and three for additional information about phishing. Number eight, check email addresses are valid. This is a simple tip you can use. When you take your mouse and you hover that mouse over the email address, to actually reveal the actual email address. And it probably will appear down in the bottom left corner of your uh, laptop or your computer. So check whether it is a link to a real charity or one crafted to deceive people It has some uh, uh, unusual looking email address that you've never even could never even recognize. And it doesn't match the charity that it says that it's coming from. Number nine, be careful on social media. Social media is a useful way for charities to communicate with the public and solicit, solicit donations. But do not assume that a donation request on Facebook, Twitter, Or YouTube is legitimate simply because a friend liked it or shared it. Take the time to research the group before donating. Number 10, give through a reputable and secure service. For example, Charity Navigator's Giving Basket is a safe and convenient way to give to charitable causes. The given basket only donates to legitimate charities. So you are protected from donating to fraudulent appeal by mistake. Number 11. Oh, this one really got me. This one right here. Everybody's heard of GoFundMe and you've heard success stories of people posting on GoFundMe, you know, sad stories of, of illnesses or deaths or whatever the case may be and how people have donated hundreds and thousands of dollars for the cause. But there are some other fake uh, examples of what has happened on GoFundMe. So there has been an increase in crowdsourcing. That's what GoFundMe is, is a crowdsourcing website like GoFundMe where people can quickly put up fundraising pleas to cover unexpected medical bills or personal tragedies. However, GoFundMe does not verify individual requests. So there is no way to know if a person's story is real or a scam. Again, tread carefully. Number 12. And this is one of the main reasons why Jackie R, Hot Mobile Technology for Out and About is doing the Cybersecurity Be Smarter Than Your Phone series. Protect your devices. Always install the latest software and app updates to protect your devices from the latest threats. Buy a comprehensive cybersecurity solution like Kapersky Security Cloud to get personalized and adaptive online security for all your devices. Finally, I'm gonna talk about tips for charity workers. For you guys, here are four things that you need to do. Number one, carry out due diligence. If you are making a purchase on behalf of your charity, from a company or person you do not know. By all means, discuss with your colleagues if you are unsure. Number two, be cautious if you are asked to make changes to bank details or make payments to a new account. Wherever possible, follow your charity's validation procedures and check the authenticity of such messages before making any payments or actioning banking changes. Number three, question unsolicited offers of goods or other financial support where an advanced fee payment is required. In other words, they're gonna offer you some stuff, some free stuff for your charity. However, it's not really free because they want you to pay a certain fee up front. Do not feel pressure into making a decision that could harm your charity or your beneficiaries. Number four, trust your instincts. If someone, th- if something or someone does not feel right, then leave it and them alone. As the saying goes, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Now, what should you do? If you have been scammed, if your charity has been been scammed, if you think you have provided your account details to a charity scammer, contact your bank or financial institution immediately. Don't wait. The longer you wait, the harder it will be to track down the scammers, the bad boys who took your money and... It'll take longer, if at all, for you to get your money back. These are just a few of the tips I will share with you through the Be Smarter Than Your Phone Cybersecurity Series. In our next episode on February 11th, we will cover online videos, Zoom, how people are scamming on Zoom and other uh, other video calls. On February the 14th, I will have a special guest, Sue Cerna, where we will discuss Instagram scams and Facebook security. So don't miss those episodes of this podcast. This is your girl, Jackie R, high and mobile technology for out and about. Continue to trust me to show you how to be smarter Then your phone.